The My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles are brought to you by the Goose Hummock Shops, Cape Cod's largest outdoor outfitter, serving New England since 1946. Shop them online at themightyfish.com. Welcome to the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles. The My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles podcast profiles impactful members of our fishing community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Kevin Collins. Well, hello and welcome to episode number six of the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles here from MyFishingCapeCod.com. This is your host, Kevin Collins. Coming back at you after a little bit of a delay, I apologize for the little bit of a layoff we've had between episodes five and six, but needed a little bit of a breather after our normal MFCC podcast wrapped up 24 straight weeks of broadcasting. So if I do say so myself, the rest was well-deserved. But after such a long layoff, I felt it only right to put together a really special podcast for you here around the holiday season. I've got a very special guest waiting on the line for episode number six. It'll be the first time in show history we have two Kevins on any type of My Fishing Cape Cod podcast. So let's dive right into today's program and welcome in our subject. And he is none other than Mr. Kevin Walsh of NBC Sports Boston. Kevin's a well-known sports anchor and reporter up in the city. You can see him on your TV most nights covering all the local Boston sports teams, but he's also a very avid fisherman, so let's welcome him into the show. Kevin, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, what's going on, Kev? It's great to be on the program. We're very busy guys, you and I, and I know you're in the middle of covering the Patriots and doing a bunch of different things, so I want to start off right away with kind of how we met we met at Gillette Stadium. You know, I was working for the Patriots. You were covering the, the team for a local TV outlet here in town. Can you talk a little bit about what you do for your day job right off the bat here? Well, I work for NBC10 Boston and also NBC Sports Boston. So I'm a TV sportscaster. If you turn on the TV, you'll probably see me looking back at you, giving you the highlights of the game. And as part of the job, one of my primary responsibilities, certainly during the fall, is to cover the Patriots. So I spend a lot of time at Gillette. I travel with the team. Um, it's the best job in the world, so far as I can tell. And we are, Kevin, we're in a perfect time for the Boston and New England sports scene. It's been such a run of success that um, other people can't really appreciate. And I think sometimes people in our area of a certain age don't really appreciate it either because they were just born into all this success. But there are enough people that know it wasn't always this good prior to, say, like 2000, where you had the great Red Sox runs and the longstanding Patriots run and the Bruins and everything else. But I'm just glad to be a part of it and hope to keep doing it for a while longer. So ironically enough, Kev, one of the things that, that you and I would always talk about is, is not football. We would always talk about fishing. That's the reason why you and I kind of bonded and, and we would run into each other all the time at the stadium and would always want to talk about fishing. First thing that I want to ask you about, you just told us a little bit about your career, how busy it is, your background in television. I know you're a married man and you've got a couple of kids and, and busy family life. So first off the bat is how do you even make time to fish with all that going on? Well, the key word with what you said is you make time. You don't find time. If I have to sleep less, I'll do that because to me, fishing is always time well spent. I need fishing in my life like most people need air to breathe or exercise. It, I'm serious. It's that important to me. It, it gives me 
a nice rush of adrenaline, but at the same time, it's relaxing. I always feel satisfied after I do it, and I'm just a happier person for doing it. I think about it all the time. If I'm not fishing, I'm talking to people about fishing. I love talking to you about fishing. I love talking to other people about fishing. I enjoy their stories because as they're reliving a fishing story, I'm reliving my own, but I'm experiencing theirs, and I'm fishing. There's nothing like being on the water, but if you can't be on the water, then talking about it is a great thing. And I'll often cut the sleep cycle short. I'll, I, I work late hours. I'm usually not home before midnight. And as we know, for a lot of fishing, some of the best fishing is right when the sun's coming up. So you do the math. There's not always enough time to have sufficient sleep. But I'll tell you this, the satisfaction that I have when it's all said and done. I mean, eventually I'll hit the the couch i'll hit the bed and i'll crash and nobody crashes like me when when i hit the couch in the bed and i do so with a happy heart and a clear mind and i just dream about the day that i just had now kev going back in time a little bit did you always have this passion for fishing dating back to your childhood no i'm actually late to this i think and this is where i think i'm an outlier I think a lot of us were sort of born into it. Our fathers did it, our uncles did it, or there was an influential person in our life. Um, eventually, and, and still to this day, I do a lot of fishing with my dad. But when I was younger, I just didn't have the patience for it. I mean, I like doing it if you're catching fish constantly. But as we know, that's not the way it, it works out. But when you get older, you start developing patience or your taste for things start to change. And I really didn't get hooked on fishing until... I was in college, and once the fishing bug bit me, it bit me hard, and now I just can't get enough of this stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, like where you spent your childhood and where you spent your college years? Sure. Born and raised in suburban Philadelphia. Um, so my primary fishing is freshwater because we were 100 miles inland. And uh, I went to college at Purdue University in Indiana. And my introduction into fishing, when I really became a dedicated fisherman, I wouldn't say a good fisherman, but one where I'm like, I really want this stuff, came in college. And I have a dear friend from Philadelphia who, he had an uncle that had what I would call a gentleman's farm. He owned a lot of land in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit north of Philadelphia. And my friend was always constantly nagging me. He said, hey, let's go to my Uncle Barnes farm. We'll do some fishing. And, and again, I just didn't. I didn't have the passion for it. I didn't have the patience for it. But then as we got into college, things started to change. I started fishing a little bit because I went to Purdue on a partial golf scholarship. And my coach, while we were playing golf, would often bring a fishing rod along and he would fish in the ponds. And he'd be pulling out all these largemouth bass. And as I'm trying to save par from impossible lies around the green, I'm looking over and I'm seeing my coach pulling fish out of ponds. And I'm like, gee, that looks like fun. So my friend... And his nickname is King. He's like, you know, when are we going to go fishing? Finally, I just said, okay, I'm ready to go fishing. We went up to his Uncle Barney's farm, and he had four ponds. One was a big pond, probably a couple of acres. And then he had some small ponds. And there was one in particular that was no bigger than a backyard swimming pool. And we hiked up to it, picking ticks off our socks along the way. And as we got up to the water, he said, hey, let's kind of approach with a little bit of stealth. And so we walked around the back of the pond and tried to stay low. And we looked in and we saw four torpedoes on the bottom of the pond. Now, this pond was gin clear and no more than three or four feet. And those torpedoes were largemouth bass. And just to give you an idea of how primitive our fishing was, we just had some night crawlers. So I bunched a worm up on the hook 
cast in front of one of its noses and the, I can I can still see it to this day that the worm is just falling down slowly and it got right in front of one of the basses who was on the end its mouth it opened its mouth and it, it just inhaled it and I looked over at my buddy and I said I think it's in its mouth and he's like well then strike so I struck the water blew up and that was that what a great image and memory you have of that story, Kev. That really, really was, was detailed and a trip down memory lane. Well, that's the thing about fishing. I remember, and, and I must tell you, so that was one of the success stories, and that's really where it all started. But I think with other fishermen, we remember the ones that get away more than the ones that we catch. I can tell you story after story. I'll just tell you one. I was fishing in Alaska about five years ago, and we were fishing for of course, the salmon that runs up the river, but the real trophies were leopard rainbow trout. And we were on these little fingerlings off the Connectock River, which is about 320 miles south southwest of Anchorage. And I had this one on the line, and we were fishing barbless, and there was tall grass around, and it was at least 28 to 30 inches. And so I'm trying to walk it down to a channel where I can secure it and the, and the guide could net it. And just as we were reaching with the net to scoop it up, it somehow slipped off the hook. And I fell to my knees, Kev, and I will never forget it. And the guide said to me, he said, you caught that fish. You controlled that fish. We just didn't get it in the net. But I needed to have that fish in my hands. Caught another one about five minutes later, but it, and it made for a good picture. But it wasn't the same. I'll never forget that. You went to college at Purdue University, you know, landlocked Midwest, and you grew up in Philly. But what about your connection to Cape Cod? How did that kind of happen? Well, I moved up from from the Philadelphia area to New England in 2009 to start a job with the old Comcast Sportsnet New England, which is now NBC Sports Boston. And I have a lot of family on the Cape. I have more family members on Cape Cod than probably anywhere else in New England. And as much as I didn't grow up in the New England area, the rest of my family on my dad's side has. So when I moved to the area, a lot of my cousins said, it's about time you came home, which was true. And we would go to the Cape because I have an elderly aunt who's no longer with us. And um, and she owned a house and another piece of property. Actually, my family has owned land on Cape Cod for the better part of 60 years. And we would go to visit her and visit my cousins. And we would swim in the kettle ponds. And for the most part, just hang out. And we did it because it was fun and and it was free. And uh, my aunt passed away just a, about a year ago. But before she passed, there was an opportunity to purchase her house and her land. And I wasn't really sure that, number one, I could afford it or that it was in the cards for us at the time. And But I said to myself... I need to fish some of the water around here properly and get a feel for whether the fishing is really good because my life revolves around fishing so much. So I went on a proper fishing excursion, and I'll just tell you this. It was a banner day. I caught so many fish it wasn't even worth uh, keeping track how many I caught. And I said to my wife, if we don't get this property, if we don't buy this, I'll never let it down. And uh, so we secured our future in uh, on Cape Cod, and I hope what we've done more than anything aside from a good place to crash, a good place to fish, that we've secured the future of our children and our future grandchildren because, as anybody knows, uh, there's nothing like having a house in a good place with good fishing near the seashore to ensure that the grandkids, when they come around, and I don't have any yet, but I hope they're in the cards, a place where they'll want to come. And that's my connection to the Cape.
Now, Kev, I don't want you to give away all your secrets. You mentioned you're a big kettle pond guy here on Cape Cod, and a lot of folks are saltwater fishermen, but we always encourage folks on our weekly My Fishing Cape Cod podcast to explore the the great kettle ponds that do exist on Cape Cod because I, I really think it's a unique opportunity that, that doesn't get as much juice as the saltwater game, and I go out of my way to incorporate the kettle ponds into our weekly show here on my fishing Cape Cod with Sam Brown of the Goose Hummock who grew up much like yourself fishing predominantly freshwater and I also think freshwater as you mentioned is a great way to introduce young people to fishing it's a lot calmer and you don't have to be out on a boat and you know you're not stuck out there for half a day you can stop and go home whenever you'd like can you give me some you know general areas where you love to fish on Cape Cod? Sure. Mid-Cape, Lower Cape are good for me. Kettle ponds are fantastic places for largemouth bass, pickerel. Uh, There are a number of ponds that are stocked with trout, and trout fishing is my favorite. I love to tie flies. I love to fly fish, but I'll do any kind of fishing so long as the fish is stupid enough to bite it. Just the fact that we're surrounded by salt water, look, I get it. A lot of people go to the Cape. Most of their fishing has always been salt water. They target the striper runs and everything else. And I'm kind of, um, I guess I'm not surprised, but at the same time, I'm like, I know a number of people who do a lot of fishing and they've never fished in freshwater. And I'm like, I just think you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity. And as we know, with migratory fish, they're seasonal. There are certain times where you really don't have much of a chance to get them. But the beautiful thing about fishing is when one turns on or shuts off, there's another species in a different place. And the Cape really has it all. The kettle ponds are one of the, um, if, if you don't know, they're fantastic fishing. And if you like trout fishing like I do, the spring and the fall are the times. It's not about the summer because trout are very temperature sensitive. So as, as much as when things are getting cold and people think the striper bite has cooled off and it has, consider other water. I think you'll be glad that you did. Now, Kev, you mentioned you've got children and you're hopeful for grandchildren in the future. And I can already tell from knowing you the way that I have the last couple of years and our discussion here on the podcast that you're going to be a driving influence and hopefully introducing fishing to a lot of young people, whether it's your kids, grandkids, kids in the community, you know, your grandkids, friends, whoever it may be. If you're going to be that conduit to fishing, who is that conduit to fishing to you? Who kind of introduced you to fishing and got you the bug? It was always hanging in the orbit with my dad, and he fished with my older brother when they were young. But as I told you before, I just didn't have the patience for it. And they would be gone all day, and they would come back, and I'm like, how'd you do? They're like, oh, we did great. How many did you catch? We caught two. I'm like, what? You've been gone all day, and you caught two? How is that a good day? I didn't realize it was more about just fishing with somebody or being out in nature. So I always had that in the back of my head. And now that I'm older and I'm much more patient and I realize fishing is not always about catching, it's about the experience. I go fishing with my dad and I go with others. But when I look around at the sport, I think that we all have a responsibility. If somebody shared something with us, we need to pass it along. And listen, life, life changes throughout the generation. I think there are some of us of, of age, and maybe this applies to you and Ryan, you fish because older people around you fished, and you grew up at a time where social media wasn't that big, where video games weren't that big. And as much as you wanted to go fishing, you were probably trying to escape some boredom in your life. Well, kids nowadays have so many things to grab their attention. If they could just get off the damn phones and stop it with the video games and get out and enjoy nature, I think they would like it. 
fortunately for me, I know some of these kids. I caddy with them in different places. So clearly they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. They're not afraid to get outside to uh, do some hard work. And I talk to them about fishing. And I think what I'm doing by just passing along some of the experience I have, some stories, maybe sharing with them uh, some places where I fish or a fly here and there or techniques, somehow I'm paying it forward to the people that have been good to me sharing information and their joy for fishing. And we're going to get into the fly in a minute here, Kev. But one thing I just wanted to, to bring up and give you a second to talk about, if you'd be kind enough to talk about it, is you're not just a TV guy, you're not just a podcast guy, but you're also an author, and you have a book called The Perfect Catch, Fishing, Family, and Friendship. And I know fishing and family, the two Fs, are two huge pillars in your life. And I just wanted to give you a quick moment to to talk about the book for a minute, where folks can get it, and what was kind of the driving force behind you writing it. The Perfect Catch, I wrote it in 2012. It was published in 2013. It's available on audio and paperback. So if you just, uh, most people just know Amazon, that's probably the easiest place to go. If you go to your local local bookstore, it's probably not on the shelf, but you can certainly have it, it ordered. In early 2012, my father alerted my brothers and me that we would be joining him on an all-expenses trip to western New York to go after steelhead trout. Now, my daddy just turned 80. But at the time, he was 73, and he had the wisdom and the foresight and the financial resources to make it happen. And instead of calling up his sons and saying, hey, check your calendars. What, you know, Are you doing anything around Thanksgiving? Because I have an older brother that lives in Texas, a younger brother that lives in Georgia. And if we hadn't done it that way, somebody would have find, found a way to wiggle out because we have jobs, we have families that we're managing. But the fact that my dad said, look, I already paid for this trip. It's non-refundable. It's around Thanksgiving. He's given us plenty of time. There was really no way to say no. And so we realized in doing this that we had not all been together. All four men had not all been together in five years. Now, dad was 73 at the time. And I think we all kind of thought about it, even though we didn't talk about it. We might not have another five years to wait. We need to do this. We need to make it happen. There was not a book in the cards until I was having a coffee conversation with a very well-known rabbi, Harold Kushner, who is an author of more than a dozen books, probably the most popular of which is a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. So wrap your head around this one. Here's the good Catholic boy who has regular coffee with Rabbi Kushner, and we would often talk about the Boston sports scene, but we would talk about life. And I told him about this upcoming fly fishing trip that I had with my dad and brothers. He wasn't so much interested in the fishing itself. He wanted to know about my relationship with my brothers and my dad and whether it was all that we hoped that it would be. And the reality was, is it wasn't. There was the distance between us. I think there were, when I look back, I, and I'll just speak for myself here, I was probably not the brother that I should have been because I was, I was very self-centered. I was very selfish just on living my life and pursuing my dreams and maybe not showing as much of an interest in my younger brother and my older brother's lives as I should have. And the rabbi like grabbed his coffee and leaned in and he said, well, maybe this is a chance for you to bond in a way that you haven't done before. And he said, the reality, Kevin, is, is men in society, we don't connect like women do. Women are the village, but men, for the most part, we see other men as competition. And usually when we get together, it's not just to have coffee and conversation. 
we have to go to an event, we go to a ball game, we go fishing together, or we have a beer. We never really face each other face to face. He said, you know, maybe this will be an opportunity to do that. And that's exactly what I thought. And he also said, there's a reason why men in society die younger than women, um, because they're more isolated. We're just constantly competing with each other. We see each other as competition and not as as partners to a greater cause. And that's not just limited to the men that we work with, that we compete against. That's sometimes is involved in our families. So I thought what I would do is I would marry the trying to get back to the bonds of what it means to be a good brother, to fix some of the past if there are some things that you really weren't proud of. What does it mean to be a good son? And that's what this trip was really all about. So if you could marry a river runs through it, which we all know was more about the bonds of brotherhood and sometimes the struggles that brothers have with each other, along with fishing, and marry it with saving Private Ryan and impressing somebody and trying to make somebody that's been helpful to you proud. And if there's a son out there that doesn't want to make his father proud, I don't know who that person is. That's what you have in the perfect catch. And the beauty of it was my brothers came up from the South, and we all met at my father's house in Ledger, Connecticut. We piled in my truck, and we drove eight hours out to the tributaries of Lake Ontario going after steelhead trout. And along the way, there's a lot of nervous energy. Are we going to have this conversation? And then eight hours back, so there's this nervous TikTok energy going out to the fishing grounds. I'll tell you this in the end, and on the cover is my dad holding a beautiful 13-pound steelhead trout. And that was the perfect catch, hence the title. But in the end, the real takeaway is the bonds of friendship that I had with my brothers, the resolution of some tough times in the past, and just the path going forward and promises to be better brothers, be better friends, and keeping in touch. And thankfully, we've done that. And as I put the book together and I followed up with my brothers, I found out that as we were driving out and passing the time, a lot of us were thinking different thoughts. Um, I was thinking how could I have been a better brother? How am I going to broach this conversation and put this issue to rest? And my older brother, as I talked to him later, became very emotional. And he said he had done a lot of thinking on that trip. And God knows we had a lot of time to think as we were driving eight hours out and eight hours back. And the one thing that stuck out in his mind that he was thinking about more than anything, he wanted to know if my dad was proud of the men that we've become, sons that he raised. And and I told my brother, I said, well, why don't you just ask dad? And he said, you know, that's hard for me to put into words. I can't do that. And I said, well, I'll do it. I'm a reporter. I'm not afraid to ask tough questions. So I called up my dad. I asked that question directly. And my older brother got the validation that I guess he had been searching for for a long time. And the beautiful thing, Kev, is the people that have read the book, I get emails from people and people tell me, they said, after I read your book, love the fishing. But more than anything, I called my dad after I read it, and I made plans to go fishing with my dad, or I called my brother. And that's the best thing. That's the perfect catch more than the fish itself. Yeah, and that's a that's a great gift from your readers as well, you know, to give you, whether it's just a simple comment or a note or something on social media, just to kind of validate the purpose of the book and, and know that your book is helping and inspiring people to get together and fish with their family. It's got to feel great. Well, Kev, the human condition is this. Listen, as I tell stories, and I just told you that one, or you tell me a story, 
is while we're listening to other people when we're reading their stories or listening to their stories, we really think of ourselves, don't we? I mean, that's what we do. That's just a human condition. You tell me a story about when you're fishing, and I'm enjoying that, and I'm vicariously living through you, but I'm also thinking about the times I've fished. When you tell me about the one that got away or the one that you landed and just the heartbreak that was involved or the buzz that you had, I just relive my experiences at the same time while listening to yours and, and reading about your stories. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter the topic or whatever. That's how the human condition works. Kev, along those lines, I, I know you're a very primal guy. You appreciate nature. You appreciate the time it takes that you have to put in to catch a fish. And I know your big passion is, is fly fishing, and I find fly fishing, the, the few times that I've failed at it, it's an extremely primal way to fish, and you're, you're much more connected to the fish than, than with spin gear. Talk a little bit about why you're a fly fisherman. Well, my father bought me a fly rod back when I was 30 years old, and he had been nagging me to get on the fly for the longest time. And I guess I was kind of like you. I just It looked hard. Finally, I'm like, okay, what the heck? I got the equipment. There's no expense on my part. If I had to pay for it, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But I had some open water. I was living in Central California at the time, working for the CBS affiliate there. And I was more a news guy than I was a sports guy. And I lived across the street from a man-made pond that was 40 acres and stocked with large strain bass. And they had these little aluminum rowboats that you could take out. And some people took it a step further. And instead of rowing around, they hooked up a car battery and an electric trolling motor. So I went out and I just started slinging lines around and eventually through muscle memory and repetition, I finally just got it down. And as you're slinging line out, I think when people start there, your mind is doing a calculation saying, well, I need speed. Here's the thing that we don't realize until it finally just clicks in our mind. That line is a lot lighter than we suspect. And we have time for the line to load up and let it go. The beauty of fly fishing for me is it's as natural as you can possibly be. The presentation is as natural as it can be. Every other way, the, the fight is in the rod, which is doing a lot of the work. But with fly fishing, because you have the tack on the fly line, you can pull a fish in with your hands. So you don't so much need the drag that you're setting on the reel, although you can do that. You can do the drag with your hands. And it doesn't matter the size of the fish. You can catch monster fish on a fly rod. But even small fish feel enormous. And that's the difference for me, is the feel of it all. And then as you get better with things, you start tying flies and you start seeing insects and you're like, okay, well, what are they biting on? Or you just invent your own flies and you're like, I wonder if a fish will fall for this ridiculous fly. And then when it all works, it just validates everything. It's just like, my God, you fell for that. My hands created this thing and you thought that was food. Wow, what a thrill. I just can't get enough of it. There's also a lot of fly fishermen on Cape Cod that like to dabble in the saltwater game, and whether it be the Brewster Flats, and I know my friend Sam Brown from the Goose Hummock takes his fly rod out all the time down in, in Brewster and Orleans. Will you ever make that leap and, and try to do a little bit more saltwater, or do you think you're always going to be a freshwater guy moving on in your life? No, I'm salt water is in the plans it's going to happen and it can't happen soon enough whether it's with sam from the goose i'm just going to walk in there and kidnap him and we're going to go out to the brewster flats because i need somebody to hold my hand show me how to do this and that's one of the most valuable lessons i think with fishing is you might have some knowledge about something but you can't know everything 
find people that know more than you and just ask for help. Make yourself vulnerable. Just say, you know, I, I really don't know where to go. Um, this is kind of new to me. Can you help me out? Fishermen and fishermen, nobody's going to turn you down. And if they do, they're not a real fisherman. And Kev, talk a little bit about your connection to My Fishing Cape Cod and kind of that's what we do here, try to bring people together to help fish. Well, the thing I like about My Fishing Cape Cod is you have true fishermen here and it, it's very Cape-centric. And I think part of it is I know I want the Cape to be a big part of my life. So I want it all. I want all the water. I want the fresh water. I want the salt water. So I need help. And occasionally in the forum, I'll post stuff and I'll say, hey, I'm working on this. Like, has anybody considered this? And I find that the information comes back to you really quickly. And I'll give you an example. I'm about to take a trip to Marco Island, Florida, and I don't really have the salt gear and everything yet. So here I'm about to be on an island surrounded by salt water, incredible fishing. But I want to know where the public access is to freshwater fishing. So I posted and I didn't want to do all the legwork on my own. And I figured somebody always knows something. Somebody's got the silver bullet and somebody wrote back right away. They said there is but one place and this is it. And you know what? Just that little posting and somebody's knowledge about that place in particular saved me, I don't know, half hour, an hour. When I hear other people getting excited about taking a fishing trip, about a new technique, um, about a new rod that they bought, a new place or whatever it is, I just piggyback and I ride along with them and, and I get the buzz through them. When I know somebody is stoked and they've got the buzz from, from fishing, it's I just relive my own experiences and it just it just makes me really happy. Well, Kev, it's been great spending so much time with you here on today's podcast. And before I let you go, what are your future plans for Kevin Walsh in fishing? Well, I will retire to Cape Cod. I've definitely settled that in my mind along with my wife. And I've done that because um, I'm fortunate that I've purchased a couple properties, which I hope not will, will not only just be a place for me to be, but also places that I can rent to others. So, so I think I'll always have ways to to generate income, but I want to fish. I want to fish a lot. I want to do a lot more saltwater fishing. I want to do guiding. I want to share some of the resources that I have with others. And it's absolutely going to be on Cape Cod because if there's a, a place that's more beautiful than Cape Cod, I don't know where it is. And I don't want to be told there, there's a place better. I'm just happy there. It is my nirvana. There's always a new place to fish. There's new people to fish with. And that's the passion that fuels me, and I hope to do it for a long, long time. Kev, thank you so much for spending so much of your time with us. You are a very gracious guest on today's episode of the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles. Thank you so much for being a part of My Fishing Cape Cod, and I look forward to many future years and fish stories to come, my friend. And likewise, Kev, and you know what? we got to get you on the fly, and I'm the guy to show you how to do it. And I think in the end, you'll never give up spin casting. You'll just have uh, another arrow in your quiver. And I look forward to that very much, Kev, as one of my goals in the year 2020 is to expand my horizons a little bit and get out there and try fly fishing a little bit more and definitely try to master the casting element of it, which is what's been the discouraging part for me in the past and kind of steered me away from fly fishing and more towards spin gear. But as Kevin mentioned, it's all about, you know, work ethic, patience, technique, all things that you can improve if you're willing to put in the time. So thanks very much to our podcast subject today, Mr. Kevin Walsh of NBC10 in Boston, sports anchor and reporter extraordinaire, and also a very, very well-accomplished author. Again, you can find his book, The Perfect Catch, Fishing, Family, and Friendship, 
on Amazon. It makes a great holiday gift and an excellent winter read for those of you that get cabin fever and can't wait till the spring till you can get out there and get a line wet. That's going to put the wraps on episode 6 of the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles. Again, sorry for the little bit of a layoff we had between episodes 5 and 6, but we're looking to pick up the podcast again here as we head into 2020 and until we run into our normal My Fishing Cape Cod podcast in the late spring. It's been a pleasure being back with you all here on MyFishingCapeCod.com, and this will probably be my last opportunity before the holidays here to wish you all a happy, healthy, and wonderful holiday season. After hearing this podcast and about the importance of not just fishing, but family and friends, I hope everybody around this holiday season can make time for their family and friends and really prioritize family time. That was my takeaway from Kevin's message. So this is your host, Kevin Collins, signing off for episode number six of the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles. Again, a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season to all, and we'll talk to you in 2020. Until then, tight lines and take care. Thanks for listening to the My Fishing Cape Cod Chronicles podcast. From all of us here at My Fishing Cape Cod, tight lines and take care. For the latest information on how to fish the Cape, be sure to check out MyFishingCapeCod.com. Become a member today and receive your first month for just $1. Join us as a My Fishing Cape Cod member.